Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, folks, the way for you and the way for me to have biblical assurance of our salvation is by examining our lives to see if we have a heart that wants to obey. Especially, as I said, when nobody's around, when nobody sees your obedience. One Bible teacher put it this way, there is only one way of proving to ourselves that we know God, and that is by loving obedience to His will. So if you have a heart, meaning you have a desire to obey God's word, and that's the driving force of your life, then you are saved. You are saved, and you can know that you're saved. You don't need to doubt your salvation, regardless of how you feel. We can say that we love God, but if we live as if we don't, it sure seems like a contradiction. A whole lot of professing Christians live very ambiguous lives. They say one thing and do another. It's no wonder they fight doubts about whether they are really saved. It's no wonder they are confused about what it means to be really saved. It's no wonder they are confused about what it means to really be saved. We need to be careful what we use as the basis for our assurance of salvation. Too many people walked a church aisle, prayed a prayer, or said a formula and based their assurance on some act they committed in the past. In today's study, we're looking at the importance of obedience as one of the tests of assurance. We're in the book of 1 John chapter 2. This is so important, especially if you are a new Christian or have been struggling with doubts about your salvation. We're excited that you're one of our listeners today. It's great that you are listening to the consistent teaching of the truth of God's Word here on this radio broadcast. That's why we bring these messages to you. We are convinced that the Word of God is powerful and alive and that it can change your life if you will let it. This is part two of our study on the importance of obedience. Our radio Bible teacher is Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and you are listening to Verse by Verse. Now notice how God said that those who will come to Him will have new hearts. He'll put His law within them. They'll want to obey him. They will obey him. And he equates that with knowing him. He said no one will need to evangelize his neighbor saying, know the Lord, come to know him. They'll already know him. And that is to say that those who know the Lord will know him and evidence by obedience because obedience is the fruit or the expression of the new heart, the new nature. That's precisely what John is saying in his letter in verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. What John is teaching is that those who have come to know Jesus Christ know that they have come to know him because they keep his word. As I said before, it is not the keeping of his word that brings us into a relationship with him. That would be works righteousness. But it is that those who have really come to know him, evidence that they know him, by keeping his word. Now, let's see what this means so there's no confusion. 
The word that is translated keep is an important word. And it speaks of watchful, observant obedience. Not talking about perfect obedience, but watchful, observant obedience. And it is also in the present tense, this watchful care is a way of life, John means. It's ongoing. It's, in other words, it is a lifestyle he's talking about. It is the habit or the pattern of our way of life to be looking for ways to obey the Lord. And what are we watchful and concerned about obeying? Well, he says his commandments. What is he referring to? He is not referring to the Ten Commandments, at least not only the Ten Commandments, because he uses a different Greek word in the Gospel of John when he is referring to the law of Moses. You can look that up in chapter 1, verse 17, chapter 1, verse 45. By commandments, John simply means the Bible in general. It is a word that encompasses all. We would say the will of God, the word of God. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where Jesus said in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's the thought here. Obedience in general. Obedience in general. Now let's think through what John is is telling us. He's telling us that our obedience to the word of God is what brings us, not salvation, but the assurance of our salvation. That is to say, if we have really come to know him, then we will have assurance of salvation if it is our lifestyle of obeying him. Now, as I said, this doesn't mean that our obedience to him is going to be perfect. John's already said in chapter 1, that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. He also said that true believers do confess their sins. He said that in chapter 1, verse 9. So he's not talking about perfect obedience. But what he is saying is that true believers, although not perfect in their obedience, have a desire to obey. They have an ongoing, observant desire to obey. There is an attitude, he's saying, that is constantly on the lookout to do what the Word of God says. That's our lifestyle. Yes, we stumble and we feel bad about it, and we repent and confess, and we get up, and we keep looking for ways to obey. It was John Calvin, the great reformer, who said, he does not mean those who wholly satisfy the law keep his commandments, but those who strive according to the capacity of human infirmity to form their life in obedience to God. That's exactly right. With, with even our infirmities and our capacity with our human frailties, if our life is desirous of obedience to the Word of God, that's the proof that we're really saved. So the proof that God has regenerated you by giving you a new heart, a new nature, putting His law within your heart, is that you want to obey Him. And not just want to obey Him, but you will obey Him. You will. It'll be the general direction of your life. Because at salvation, God produces within us a new heart to obey. In and of ourselves, we don't have that heart. That's the pattern of your life from the time of salvation on. And as I said, when you do sin, you feel bad about it. And more than feel bad about it, you do something about it. You repent. You forsake it. You confess it to the Lord. And you then get up and you continue to have a watchful concern to obey the word of God. If that's true in your life, then you can know that you have eternal life. That's the objective basis of your assurance. So let me be perfectly clear about this obedience. 
John is not telling us that keeping God's word, keep this in mind, is only, is only a matter of external obedience. It's more than that. It's also internal attitudes. There are so many Christians who think if they just do everything on the outside, that's fine. But John is not talking about that. The word of God tells us that we are to obey God outwardly, but we are to obey him inwardly, especially the, the real proof is when nobody is around to see what you're doing. That's the proof of obedience. So much of obedience involves inner attitudes that no one else sees, such as forgiving those who sin against us. That attitude that says, yes, I'm I'm deeply hurt. They've sinned against me, but I've been so forgiven by God, I choose to forgive them. Or esteeming others more important than ourselves. Yes, I can choose to do this, or I can choose to put this person ahead of me. Being loving and concerned about the welfare of others. Refrain from gossiping about somebody. Not thinking the worst about them, but the best about others. That's the kind of stuff that goes on inwardly. And we ought to have that desire to do those things. Obedience to the word of God is the prevailing mark of a true Christian. Listen to what Jesus said. John chapter 10, verse 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. They follow him, meaning they obey him. They hear my voice, they're responsive. When Jesus stood before Pilate in that confrontation they they had, remember this, John 18, verse 37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus said, you are correct. You say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. That's a great statement. We often overlook that because the next statement is the famous one by Pilate, what is truth? But what led Pilate to say that is Jesus said, everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Obviously, Pilate was not of the truth. But we're of the truth, and we hear his voice. And what he means is we hear his voice, we're responsive to his voice. John chapter 14, listen to how many times Jesus spoke about, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he said. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Verse 23 and verse 24, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father We'll love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So folks, the way for you and the way for me to have biblical assurance of our salvation is by examining our lives to see if we have a heart that wants to obey. Especially, as I said, when nobody's around, when nobody sees your obedience. One Bible teacher put it this way, there is only one way of proving to ourselves that we know God, and that is by loving obedience to his will. So if you have a heart, meaning you have a desire to obey God's word, and that's the driving force of your life, then you are saved. You are saved, and you can know that you're saved. 
you don't need to doubt your salvation, regardless of how you feel, regardless of how you feel, your emotion should never determine your assurance or lack of assurance of salvation. God's word determines it. You have to have a settled attitude that says, God said this, I believe it, and that settles it. You can know that you have come to know him if you keep his commandments. Let me put it this way. No unregenerate person desires to obey the word of God. No unsaved person wants to obey the word of God for the sake of obeying and pleasing God. So if you have that desire, it's because God has changed your heart. That is the mark of a Christian. The old man, the old heart, the old unregenerate sin nature never has an interest in obedience. So if you do have an interest and your life indicates that you do observe the word of God and you're always looking the general pattern of your life to be looking to obey him. And when you don't obey him, you confess your sin. If that's the attitude and that's the, the habit in your life, then you are saved. God said that. You don't need to doubt anymore. However, if you examine your life and you don't keep his commandments and you have no desire in your life to keep his word, then what? Well, look at verse four, because John answers this. The one who says, I've come to know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John is very bold, very bold in stating that, that regardless of what a person claims in terms of knowing Christ, if he does not have a watchful concern about obeying the word of God, John says that person is a liar, and the truth of God has not gained a hold on his life. It's just not in him. It's just not in him. I don't think John is simply saying he's a liar and truth is not in him, but the truth of God hasn't gripped his heart. Now, there is a tone of harshness to what John is saying, because he calls this person an outright liar. That is bold talk. And we don't usually feel comfortable speaking this way to people. But John, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, was absolutely correct to speak like this, because he was exposing the false teachers of his day for what they are. It's the same boldness that Jesus had. They are liars. Understand this. These men were not sincere, but they were lost, intentional liars. These men were not well-meaning men who just got confused about, about some truth. No, they were outright deceivers, liars. These men said they knew Christ, and they were harming true believers by their errors, and they were nothing but liars, because they knew that they had not come to saving faith in Christ. They knew this. They knew that they didn't know him. You can't mistake that. You either know him or you don't. Listen to what James Boyce wrote about these men and concerning John's charge against them. He wrote, John has harsh words for the person who claims to know God, but who does not obey his commandments. He calls him a liar. That is, he is neither deceived by someone else nor confused by the facts. Rather, he is openly professing something he knows is not true and therefore should rightly be branded a deceiver. Moreover, says John, the truth is not in him. Now listen to this. This is fascinating. 
Boyce writes, this phrase may be no more than a restatement of the claim that the man professing to know God while actually disobeying his commandments is a liar, but it may also mean more than this. It may mean that the truth is not to be found in him in the sense that the one seeking truth should go not to this man, but rather to another source. If this is the case, then the phrase obviously applies to the false teachers of John's day and to the false teachers in our time also. It means that truth should be sought not from the man who has intellectual qualifications alone, I think he he means just scholars, but rather from the man whose claim to know spiritual things is backed by God-like behavior. He writes, unless there is observable godliness, such a man's teachings about God should be distrusted. Now, folks, what the Apostle John has to say about people who profess faith in Christ but fail to show it by their lifestyle is something that many people in American evangelical churches should carefully consider. This is a word to our generation because there are many who attend Bible-believing churches who profess to know Christ but have absolutely no desire to obey the Bible. It's, It's a foreign concept to them. Their lives, when examined, look exactly like their pagan neighbors. These neighbors who do not profess to know Jesus, but their lives are no different than their neighbors who do claim to know Christ. They have the same attitudes. They watch the same appropriate things online, on television, in the movies. They use the same vulgar words. They laugh at the same dirty jokes. They have the same values about money and material possessions, the same desires and goals in life. Nothing is really different except maybe on Sunday they go to church. And like their pagan neighbor who doesn't profess to know Jesus, it just never seems to cross their their minds to put the word of God into practice. They may go to church, they may sing their songs, they may even give in the offering, they may even be involved in some type of ministry, but it just never impacts the way they live. Now to those who are like this, John says, you may say that you have come to know Jesus Christ, but you are lying. You have never had a change of heart, and therefore your lifestyle reflects that you are still unsaved and you are a lost person. Now, I don't want you to think that John is the only one who is saying this, like as if this is an isolated text in Scripture. Let me just take you to the Apostle Paul. I don't know that we can do a sermon without ever mentioning the Apostle Paul at some point. So let me take you to, to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says the same thing. He said, they profess to know God but by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. John is essentially saying the same thing. Someone professes to know Christ, but by their life, it's obvious that they, that they haven't come to know him. So regardless of what a person professes, their deeds, the fruit, what comes out, what's expressed in attitude, what's expressed in action, that's their, that's their heart coming out. So, question is, what about you? What about you? As you examine your life, and Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he said, examine yourselves, 
whether you are in the faith or not, do you desire to obey the word of God? Is that the passion of your, of your heart? More than just a desire, do you obey it? If not perfectly, there, it, there needs to be obedience. Some obedience. It can't be just, well, I desire, but I never get around to it. No, John is talking about desire that translates into obedience. If obedience to Christ is the driving force in your life, then on the authority of the word of God, I say you can know that you have salvation because you have come to know him. And the proof that you've come to know him is you want to obey his word. Otherwise, as I said, you would never be interested in obeying the Lord. Unbelievers don't care what God's word says. They only want to do what their own hearts dictate. So take the assurance that God is offering you. It's yours. Take it. Don't doubt anymore. But if obedience is not the desire of your heart, then you need to be saved. It's, it's not too late. So if you are a believer, I say rejoice. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. It is. Enjoy the assurance. May it make you closer to the Lord than ever. And may it make you discerning in helping others who struggle in this area. And genuine Christians, I said, really do struggle. But if somebody has no interest in the word of God, then you can tell them. It is doubtful that they know Christ because this is what Scripture teaches. Let's bow for prayer. I trust that obedience to God's word is important to you. You don't come to church or read your Bibles just to accumulate knowledge. I hope that you really do care what the word of God says simply because it is the word of God. As you examine your heart, examine is is that really the driving force? of my life. Do I want to obey God's word when nobody is around, when nobody will see me, when I cannot impress anybody? It's just me and the Lord. If you still want to obey him then, then you can rejoice. You have been saved. If not, then you still need to be saved. It's not too late. Father, I do pray that you will take these simple but profound truths and drive them home to our hearts. For those who struggle, Lord, with doubting whether they're saved or not, I pray that they will no longer listen to the flesh or Satan or what others say. I pray that they won't compare themselves to other Christians. I pray that they won't be intimidated by those who come across as deeper than than they are but they will rejoice and and receive what Scripture says. Thank you for these truths, Lord. May it not confuse anyone, but give them settled assurance. And Father, for those who don't have this heart to obey you, who don't care, I pray that they would be aware of it. I, I pray that we who know people like that, people who perhaps are in other churches who feel very settled and secure and never think about these things, I pray And at the right time, you would help us to minister to them so they wouldn't be self-deceived and they wouldn't think that they're saved when they're not saved. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to really be settled on this issue so that no one needlessly needs to worry and fret and be fearful. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
How can you know that you are truly saved beyond a doubt? As Pastor Steve told us, if the desire of your heart is to obey the Word of God, then you are saved. Stop doubting and start believing that Jesus Christ has saved you and the Holy Spirit lives within you. We're not finished looking at this vital subject of assurance of salvation. Please keep tuning in at this time to continue on in this message series. You can listen again to these broadcasts on our website, versebyverseradio.org. There are many other messages in the archives on the website. You can listen to them online or download them. You can order the entire series of messages. It would be great to listen to them and then share them with a friend. Thanks for being a part of our broadcast today. We want to help you understand God's will through His Word. You can call us at 727-239-0306 if you have a need, a question, or just want someone to pray with you. There are a lot of helpful resources available on our website, versebyverseradio.org. There is a place to sign up for our quarterly newsletter with many helpful articles. You can also give a gift to this ministry so we can keep broadcasting the truth of God's Word. You can give over the phone, by mail, or through the website. And please, don't forget to also pray for this ministry. This series will continue the next time that we're together. I know Pastor Steve and the staff of Verse by Verse would like to join me, Jerry Pruden, in saying, Thank you for listening in. Join us next time on Verse by Verse. Planet Out Oat Milk is so rich and creamy. I love it in my cereal, but also in smoothies. With zero grams of sugar in Planet Out unsweetened varieties. But it gets even better. It's an excellent source of calcium with vitamins A and D that's delicious in everything. Mmm, including my lattes. Pick up the carton that has it all. Or visit planetout.com for more. Planet Out. Be good to you.